Hello everyone, and welcome to the JGI Policy Pulse, brought to you by the FIU Jack Gordon Institute for Public Policy. My name is Leland Lazarus, and I'll be your host. Well, they call it white gold, and for good reason too. Lithium has become one of the world's most sought after critical minerals, and it's a core ingredient in electric vehicle batteries, and the demand for it is expected to grow by nearly 30% every single year through 2030. Australia is the current global leader in producing lithium, but 60% of the world's lithium reserves reside in South America, specifically Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile, known as the Lithium Triangle. And companies from around the world, including from the US, Canada, and China, are in the mix. Who are the major players in these countries' lithium industries? How do they fit in the larger strategic competition between the U.S. and China? And what does the future hold for the global lithium industry? Well, today we have a guest who is a CEO of Lithium Company, who is right in the thick of this global hunt for white gold. It's a huge honor to have a CEO of a lithium company here to talk to us about this incredible development. And this is Mr. Ali Rahman, who is the CEO, President, and Director of the Lithium Energy Exploration Incorporated, or Lexi for short, which is a green energy company focused on the acquisition and development of lithium brine assets in Argentina. Ali, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Leland. It's my honor to hear to be here with you. For the listeners who just aren't familiar with the lithium mining space. Can you just talk about why it's often called white gold? Why is it so important for the global economy? Absolutely. It is white gold because of the value, you know, first it's it's a white, silvery white metallic substance, right? And, and its process forms, uh, the parts that go into the, to the battery. And at the end of the day, that's the, its value, right? It is the integral component to the lithium ion battery. And the lithium-ion battery in and of itself then is the, is the essential component today, the essential technology for the energy transition, right? So not just electric vehicles, though that is, it's obviously its primary market and input is into the electric vehicles, right? And into what is likely burgeoned to be and, and, you know, not just from a consumer demand perspective, but also from a policy perspective, the mode of transportation in the near to medium term and hopefully long term. But it also has its, the lithium ion battery is also essential for power, the energy transition in the power sector, right? If we are truly going to get away from oil and from hydrocarbons, particularly coal and other hydrocarbon forms of power generation and towards renewables, those batteries, the storage batteries, the batteries that store that electricity for when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing, right? So, so that we can have a steady, consistent uh, flow of electricity is essential. And so that lithium is that the primary and, and, and you know, represents roughly 70% of the value of a battery is the lithium in that battery. The gold, that's the, you know, the white and the, and the lithium, the gold part is essentiality, the essentialness of that metal will make it both coveted and hence valuable 
Uh, and we're seeing that already. The prices of lithium um, have gone from, you know, three or four thousand dollars a ton just, you know, a few years ago to hit seventy thousand dollars early earlier this year. Came slightly back down uh, to about thirty-five and has crept back up to in the forties range. Um, though we, you know, the pricing is it's a whole nother discussion because because of where the refining capacity for lithium essentially all sits in China. Determining a true market price for lithium is is difficult since you know it's there's not truly a world market for it today. It's essentially most of it's refined in China. That's obviously changing as the world wakes up to the you know how important lithium is going to be for the new economy for the energy transition, and we start to see uh, a, a, a let's say more diverse, diffuse uh, supply chain across uh, geographies from you know beyond China. I mean, you mentioned the importance of China in actually refining the lithium, and it seems as if now there's a global scramble for lithium, especially in the lithium triangle, right? Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile Mm -hmm. in South America. Mm -hmm. And of course, you've got Chinese companies like Ganfeng and Tianqi and and Zijin in there, but you also have Western companies, Albemarle, um, Livent, right? Um, and some others, but you also see some interesting bedfellows, if you will, where you've got Canadian and Chinese companies working together or U.S. companies and Chinese companies jointly owning certain lithium mines. How can you explain those kinds of dynamics in a lithium space? And how do these companies operate in the context of the current strategic competition? A lot of that is, let's say, those strange bedfellows you mentioned, right? Like mm-hmm. so Chinese investment in Canadian companies. Mm-hmm. Is this is first off? Those are arrangements that arose previously in previous years. Mm-hmm. Not sure, given today's geopolitical climate, and we can talk about it. I mean, Canada has essentially requested divestment from Canadian companies of Chinese investors. And, and, and a company like Lithium Americas was forced to essentially bifurcate assets and co- the company from this Argentine assets to in the Canadian uh, to mm-hmm. allow for an American assets to allow for Chinese continued Chinese ownership. And from what I gather, there's some talk about trying to see if Chinese divestment from SQM in Chile. But those arrangements took place because historically Canada was the jurisdiction for what we call junior miners, right? Ostensibly small mining companies, development stage mining uh, across spectrum from gold, copper, the traditional metals, right? Traditional mm-hmm. mining. And and it carried forward into, into to lithium, right? So Lexi, for example, is, is traded on the TSXV because that was the jurisdiction. You know, Canada has a long century plus year history of mining. So and there's a lot of investor knowledge. There's an, an investor base is comfortable with mining, uh, the risks associated with mining and supporting what it means to support mining companies. So you saw many, most um, these quote unquote junior miners, the ones who got in initially into the space were domiciled either in Canada and Australia is the other jurisdiction where you have that same kind of similar, again, Australia, uh, uh, you know, long time mining country, mining jurisdiction. Um, The largest producer of lithium right now, right? Around the world. It is. It is. Mm. It's a different kind of lithium. And again, we can mm. get into that between the hard rock lithium, the spodumene lithium, uh, mm. which is much more traditional mining, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, open pit type mining 
-hmm. then what we have in the lithium triangle that you mentioned, which is a brine-based lithium, much honestly, much more analogous to the oil and gas industry, right? Because you're dealing with liquids. Mining may be a, a little bit of a misnomer for what is being done in South America. But nonetheless, that's the you know moniker that's been applied. That's where we fall under the mining industry. But it's it's not quite mining in the sense that we think of when we think of mining. But going again, going back to it, it's really access to capital, access to capital, Canada, Australia, hence Canadian Australian companies. And again, in a climate that you know the let's say pre. 2022 climate, lithium industry began to take off kind of 2016, 17, mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit, obviously before that, you have live event that you mentioned before has been producing, you know, they're, they're an outgrowth of FMC, one of the largest kind of chemical companies in the world spun out their project in Ombre Muerto in Argentina has been around since 1998. Wow. Um, obviously SQM, the, Ch- the, the, the Chilean company Chilean. I mentioned before, they really started as a phosphate company. Mm-hmm. Um, and lithium was a byproduct. <laughs> it became it became a more valuable product, the byproduct than the original uh, intended <laughs> product. And so now we think of them maybe as a as a as a lithium company, but you know historically they're a a phosphate company again from these brines, right? These brines don't just contain lithium; they contain many other metals and minerals, and some of them that have additional economic value. You know, the, the, these companies arose and, and the Chinese, again, were, as they have been with many things mm-hmm. uh, in the last, in the latter, in the last few decades, I want to say prescient, but ahead of the curve in terms of recognizing the value of these metals and minerals to these emerge to the industries of the future. And again, it's, and, and some of the critical minerals beyond lithium, but, you know, some of the more exotic critical minerals and metals are essential, not just for energy transition, but for high tech, right? The uh, computers for, you know, for computer manufacturer, chip manufacturing, for weapons manufacturing, many of these things that of the, of the you know, these products of the future. They invested, um, they invested themselves directly in the companies that you mentioned before, the Zijins, the Z- Gang Fangs, the, and others. And they also took stakes in certain Western companies as either partner, JV partners, or investors in those companies. Their type of investment didn't come via one channel, came across multiple channels. But that, I think that process, at least for now, has stopped. So what about existing partnerships? So I'm specifically thinking in mind the Cauchari Olaros mine in Argentina, which is jointly run by Lithium Americas and Ganfeng. You know, what's that kind of relationship? How's that going to develop over the years? I mean, is, is Lithium Americas going to kind of part ways with Ganfeng? Well, I mean, that's one of the, that's one of, you've touched on one of the key questions in the, mm. in the space, right? Because why? Because the Chinese have provided capital mm-hmm. for this space in the mm-hmm. last few years. While we in the West, and I've spoken about this, you know, other in the past, we've, my view, misallocated capital, mm. investment capital in this space towards the downstream Mm-hmm. Right, the in products, the EVs themselves, mm-hmm. the Teslas, the Lucids, mm-hmm. the, and others. Mm-hmm. The Chinese have, and so hence there hasn't been a lot of Western capital into the upstream, into the actual raw materials themselves. Mm-hmm. The Chinese have provided that capital mm-hmm. in many instances. One, and not just in the form of kind of initial investment capital, but also as uh, acquisition capital. Right, so as a company would develop some of their assets and their resources and get uh, further along. 
the Chinese were there to purchase those for numbers that honestly, um, many Western companies didn't want to, were unprepared to pay at the time. And now is one of the reasons that access to this lithium seems to be a major issue for, let's say, uh, for, for autos, autos across in the West and elsewhere, and has allowed the Chinese EV industry to essentially, in the Chinese auto industry, let's say, to skip that, to skip a generation, right? Yeah. They skipped the generation of, of, you know, internal combustions and gone straight to EVs and have built some of the largest EV brands in the world yeah. um, because of they have had a consistent supply chain absolutely raw material all -hmm. the way through refining capacity through battery manufacturing to the end product sort of um investing in upstream but also now developing downstream um portion the refining capacity critical absolutely critical to this story um Mm -hmm. they've been they have developed the supply chain throughout Mm -hmm. from from upstream all the way down to the end product whereas the west uh, United States in particular, uh, and else others um, have not really done that. They focused on uh, the down the end product. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and of course, I know you know the, the Biden administration through the Inflation Reduction Act is now trying to reverse that, right? Trying to direct U.S. capital towards some of these you know EVs and, and renewable energy. I mean, you're so right. I mean, BYD is a huge exactly. global. That's what I had in mind. Um, company and and BYD is of course now Neo investing in some yeah Neo as well mm-hmm. they're they're now investing in car and battery factories in Latin America and the Caribbean right think of, of Brazil mm-hmm. um, in, in other areas as well Mexico of course and you also see a demand signal from the local governments themselves I'm specifically thinking of Chile that just recently released its lithium strategy and it wants these companies, whether it be Western or Chinese, to not only invest in the upstream capacity, but also bringing the value added portions of the lithium supply chain, the refining, the battery making on you know Chilean soil um, in order to keep that that value there. Absolutely. I mean, again, hard, think about the, the, the rise of the hydrocarbon industry, right? Mm-hmm. And the story was that the places with the oil were initially just raw material places mm-hmm. to, to extract raw materials and mm-hmm. the value creation was done elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the story of whether we get it right or wrong in this new decarbonized economy, the energy transition will be whether these countries that have the raw materials can in collaboration with the companies and mm-hmm. some create that value chain, keep some of that value at home by go, going you know farther down the value stream to not just the exportation of raw materials, but again, to create, as you said, uh, the the hydroxide and the carbonate in our in our instance in our you know product that we're talking about here with lithium mm-hmm. at home, and just even creating that step will make these countries many many billions of dollars more than the exportation of the you know an earlier stage within the lithium um, value chain. They don't even need to get into the battery manufacturer itself, though I'm sure you know they have. You know, certain countries like a Chile, like a like an Argentina that are, you know, as you know, Argentina has a domestic auto industry, right? So they mm-hmm. have the industrial capacity there to to move all the way downstream. 
Others don't. You know, Chile, you know, hasn't had, um, you know, Chile historically has been a, a mining country focused on, you know, the development, the extraction and certain, um, let's say, value creation. But then the exportation of that raw material, the iron, the copper uh, and other out, outside the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I think that what Borch um, was looking at when he instituted this, this uh, was their plan was not to make the same mistakes that they that they mm. or or not to repeat the history that that was you know their mining history right mm-hmm. uh their copper and iron and other mining uh history can you um dig a little bit deeper in in the comparative advantages and the differences in the way that you know Argentina Chile and of course Bolivia Mm-hmm. How are they thinking through managing their lithium resources? Um, who's sort of better or worse at certain things? Um, how do you view those things as a CEO of Lexi? Well, it all depends on your perspective, right, Leland? As with many things in <laughs> life, right? I mean, I'm the CEO of a public, you know, of, of a private enterprise, a publicly traded company. To me, what Argentina is doing, insofar as has. Uh, Given the space over to private, you know, to private companies, They're, the state mm-hmm. is not involved in 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 the lithium business per se. They haven't created uh, a state enterprise, um, mm-hmm. though. You know, YPF um, is looking uh, to get involved. I know in lithium, they've created a subsidiary called YPF Lithio. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know, we've had discussions with them, um, and I, I think I'm sure others in the space. But you know, t- at the end of the day. Uh, it's still the private companies that are uh, involved in the in the lithium business in Argentina, and partly that's that's a structural outcome. Um, unlike Bolivia and Chile, where uh, the resources are the province of uh, the the national or government, um, the uh, resources in Argentina are the province of the provinces. So um, it's much similar, very similar to like in the United States, right, where Texas controls. Um, the the natural resources in Texas again again unless it's on federal land. But you know if you're if you uh, Texas is the one who um, has sovereignty jurisdiction over the resources under Texas soil. Same mm-hmm. thing in Argentina, Catamarca where we are has mm-hmm. the sovereignty uh, over uh, the the natural resources of Catamarca and not the federal government in mm-hmm. Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. It's not the same in, in, in Bolivia and in Chile, where the federal government has that, that sovereignty and hence was able to um, more, more easily, uh, quote unquote, nationalize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bolivia has a true nationalization. Um, Chile is, is kind of this, we'll see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Chile has proposed is essentially, you know, that the, that the that their state-owned, yet to be created, yet to be formed, state-owned lithium company will participate with private companies in the development of these resources. Again, we don't know on what basis that would be 50-50, 60-40, you know, where they'll take a minority stake. We, that, that's yet to be played out. But hmm. that the state will have a active participation in, in the development of those resources. Argentina does not um, have that. And, and, and you know, I'll, I'll just say, um, that's why you've, see, you've seen much of the uh, activity in the space in, within the lithium triangle uh, occur in Argentina. But so then I want to correct then some, um, I guess not necessarily fake news, but 
uh, misinterpretation of what mm-hmm. Chile is doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily they haven't made the decision to fully uh, nationalize the lithium industry, right? Correct. It's okay, always been, by the way, it's always mm-hmm. been not like they've reserved, like there's certain elements in, in Chile that are reserved for the state, right? Like the state has to have a participation in it. And, and, and uh, lithium has been one since 1979. Mm-hmm. Um, what they, what, but again, what form that take took uh, mm-hmm. will change under this new board's new directive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yet to play out, but it's not, it's already quote unquote been nationalized. And it's not like, again, a true nationalization like you have in Bolivia, uh, mm. where the state is the only, you know, uh, right. where, you know, it's reserved for the state alone. Right. And, you know, they may contract, you know, some outside to, you know, provide technology or do something else, but it's really a state run uh, enterprise. Interesting. The other, the other element, the, the other thing I think very important to point out about Chile is mm-hmm. um, from a technology, technology perspective. Historically, lithium in Chile again produces lithium brine, right? It's lithium from brine. Mm-hmm. Um, they've used what's called the evaporation pond, these mm-hmm. large evaporation ponds uh, to produce as lithium. Um, th- they, that now will be uh, forbidden uh, going forward. Really? And so that will have a uh, real impact, um, in my opinion, in a very positive way. Um, on the industry, make it cleaner and greener. Again, if the if the if the real rationale behind the energy transition again is to get away from polluting from from energy intensive mm-hmm. uh, type of uh, uh, activities, right? Like hydrocarbons and whatever. And why would we produce lithium from a you know uh, economic you know from an environmentally um, uh, challenging method right like like and a water intensive uh, methodology like the evaporation ponds and right, so right. they really really focus on dle direct lithium extraction yeah. um and that impetus uh, uh that 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 directive will have a real i think meaningful impact on really um moving forward dle technology i think which is essential to unlocking um, lithium, the lithium supply, and doing it in a very sustainable, responsible uh, manner, right? Wow. Yeah, I think I read a statistic. It takes 2.2 million liters of water in order to extract like one ton of lithium, right? So it's very, very water intensive. Very water intensive. Uh-huh. In a, and again, and it's in a place, the Atacama Desert, the driest place on earth, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, it takes a long time. It takes about 18 to 24 months to produce that lithium from the time it comes out uh, to evaporate it all the way around. Whereas DLE um, is produced in hours. Um, wow. So now, it's, now is, it, is it harder to do uh, direct lithium extraction? No, it's just, it's, it's, let's say it's a relatively new technology. Um, I would say, you know, Livevent has used, used a form of direct lithium extraction for, for, for many years at commercial scale, but really, you know, um, it hasn't been done at commercial scale, uh, you know, for any sustained period of time uh, before. Though, again, and I, you know, from what I know, I have a, um, you know, I met, I met the head of uh, Neo's uh, critical mineral sourcing uh, mm-hmm. not long ago, and he told me that they're producing, um, they have direct DLE technologies in China that are um, have been producing for years and from very let's say a marginal uh, lithium brine. They have their own lithium brines in China. Mm-hmm. 
And so, I, you know, I think that, that technology is there, it's available, um, and we, I think we'll see sustained investment into it um, and operational use of it. And, and that's what I think will be the technology for the production of lithium moving forward. So, you know, I want to take a step back before because, you know, we talked about the Chinese involvement in lithium. We also talked about some U.S. companies and also Canadian companies, Australian companies. What's interesting and what's curiously not um, a part of this game is are uh, Japanese companies. I know there's one South Korean company, POSCO, that has a $4 billion mine in Argentina. My neighbor. Um, but... What, why isn't Japan in the mix? Why, why do you think? It's a great question, uh, Leland. And um, you would think, you know, the Japanese, particularly the trading companies, the Mitsui's, the Sumitomo's, the, you know, Morbeni's, uh, the Yotochu's, they have a long history in Latin America. You know, in some instances, going back more than 100 years in hmm. both Peru, uh, Brazil in particular. And so, you know, they were extremely well positioned. And by the way, obviously, they have... A, a uh, a massive auto industry, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, massive electronics industry. So like they had the users of this lithium. Mm -hmm. They have a, they had a long history in Latin America in particular, yet they uh, have yet to my uh, knowledge made any real acquisition of a lithium asset um, in, in Latin America or elsewhere. Um, now, uh, I'm not really sure the reason uh, for that. Um, bureaucratic inertia, plus possibly um, a real kind of a, you know, you didn't see until very recently Toyota um, get behind uh, EVs. Um, I think they were, you know, they were kind of been focused on hydrogen. Um, but a week, two weeks ago, um, they announced that they're moving very rapidly into EVs. Hmm. Uh, and they developed a new uh, battery lithium battery uh that uh purports to be much uh much more efficient um quick charging uh long lasting and, and else so you, i think you we we will likely to see uh the japanese uh get involved here um you're right the, the koreans again who have a very robust auto industry right um you know hyundai's kia's uh you know all and all the rest um POSCO has been essentially their only investment uh, in, in that I've seen thus far uh, there. And then the others, the, the Indians, to be quite honest, uh, who by some measure have the third largest auto industry in the world um, and are have not made a single investment uh, at the resource level in particular uh, around critical minerals anywhere in Latin America that I'm aware of. Now, they did discover um their own lithium deposit but how long that takes to get online and whether that's going to be obviously sufficient uh to to really provide the uh, stability um and the uh, uh for their for that industry is, is yet to be seen um but yeah they've been absent as well so you know these countries and it's a very good point you raise that have spent decades right um pursuing uh, economic advancement through industrialization particularly in the auto industries right um, these industries may be threatened um, because of their lack of access to the raw materials required um, to produce these these end products, these these EVs, right? Um, and so it's you know they don't have access, and, and the access will come, you know, through 
to the, via the Chinese, possibly, if they don't get involved, if they don't make these investments themselves, um, if they don't get access to these resources themselves, then, you know, China, who is their, not just, you know, the U.S. is in the West strategic competitor, but historically a competitor in Asia, right? The Chinese, uh, particularly with the Japanese, you know, not just with the Japanese and the Koreans, but also, as you know, uh, across the, the Himalayas, uh, all, you know, been a strategic competitor of the Indians for, yeah. for, for decades, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe reliant on, on their longtime competitor for these products. So I, 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 would, I would hope to see um, their involvement, the Japanese, the Koreans, and the Indians particularly getting downstream, in, oh, sorry, getting upstream, getting involved at the resource level, um, because I think at least in the near to medium term, that is the only way to uh, guarantee access to those raw materials because of the impending supply deficit. I mean, the growing strategy on the part of the U.S. in in order to compete with China. And and the only way for us to do that is really through leveraging our partnerships. Right. So, of course, you see in the Indo-Pacific, you've got the quad, right? U.S., Australia, India, Japan. Mm -hmm. You've got this now this new trilateral uh, partnership, U.S., Japan, South Korea. And I understand that actually the three presidents are going to be meeting in Camp David in a couple of uh, weeks. And that's going to be historic, right? Mm-hmm. But just like what you said, it, it almost seems as if these these partnerships um, are happening in the Indo-Pacific, but they're not having a global uh, viewpoint, right? In which the U.S., Japan, South Korea, Australia, India, I mean, we can all be working together, all of our companies can be working together in order to pool resources to maybe purchase uh, some lithium mines or operate some lithium mines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in order to make sure to be more competitive. One more thing I wanted to mention is the uh, State Department's Mineral Security Partnership, mm-hmm. right? In which there are not just the US and uh, Asian countries, but also European countries. I wonder if there's a way that the mineral security partnership can be leveraged in order to um, increase competitiveness in the lithium space. I think you you've hit the nail on the head again. You know, Leland, you're looking at all the right things. I know from you know my discussions uh, in Washington with the administration and with others uh, that that is uh, you know looking at the MSP and other other instruments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to to um, to address like. You know, to redress this deficit, right? And the 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 uh, I won't say disadvantage, but the I mean, the fact that we need to catch up mm-hmm. rapidly here um, on this. Otherwise, it will imperil um, it will imperil one the energy transition itself, mm-hmm. right? And if that, and again, in a in a in a, in a climate, no pun intended, you know, this summer <laughs> where you have. Uh, uh, you know, weather anomalies and extreme weather and the like, I think the, the, the impetus to truly move on the energy transition will uh, gain momentum. Um, but you can't build these products without this stuff, right? right and right. so, you know, we, if we can't, a, we're not going to be able to do the energy transition, but if we do, we not, might not like what it looks like when we get there. Right, i.e., that it's in the you know that the value that it's being controlled by others, right? And 
you know, America is not used to being in this position. America and the West created the hydrocarbon world in which we all lived, right? That the, the 20th century was built around, and the and hence the America and the West disproportionately benefited mm -hmm. from that world, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so you know, again, even after World War II, the devastation of World War II, we were able to rapidly reindustrialize, re rapidly build out the economies because we had the access to the hydrocarbons required to do all that stuff, right? We controlled it. Unless we make a much more concerted effort to really um, get uh, access to these raw materials now, we will miss out on shaping that decarbonized world, that energy transition world, and we will be um, subject to those who have uh, shaped that world. And that's the true, honestly, threat, um, not just to the, the peace, but the prosperity of, of you know the U.S. and those countries we've met; those who fail to do that. In my again, in my opinion, is that keeping you up at night as uh, CEO of the team? You know, we're out there, we're drilling at Lexi, and we're <laughs> we're, we're developing our resource, and you know, we're I'm I'm being involved. I try to be involved in in discussions. You know, educating uh, policymakers uh, in the in in America. Partly, again, you mentioned the IRA. I mean. You know, uh, the the IRA has been focused, in my opinion, on, you know, um, uh, too focused on on domestic resources. Right. Um, uh, yes, we have these resources in the United States, but uh, they're one, not enough and two uh, won't be fast enough. Right. Hmm. They're not going to come online fast enough just due to the kind of the regulatory framework that we have in the United States. Um, but again, why are we, you know, the Chinese don't help Chinese companies only developing resources in China. They help Chinese companies developing resources in Africa, in Latin America, in the Caribbean, in Asia, and elsewhere, right? Everywhere, globally. Um, why we are not doing the same is a mystery to me. Um, and why countries like Argentina um, that have historically been an ally of the United States um, countries in which we've really made, uh, let's say, efforts to try to get the Argentines and others to, to let's say, do less business with our uh, Chinese um, competitors. Uh, you know, we're doing that on the one hand, but on the other hand, have not given them access to this, to, you know, what is the, you know, the most important legislative uh, piece to incentivize energy transition is, 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 you know, to me, doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think it is, again, you know, one of the reasons that we are, we're, we're lagging behind. What you're referring to is that within the IRA, there's this requirement, right, that um, cars will get a tax credit if the batteries or the um, lithium resources or other critical minerals mm -hmm. that were created was created in sourced in the United States or sourced in a country that has a free trade agreement with the United States, right? In the Correct. context of, of the lithium triangle, only one of the three countries has a FTA with the U.S., Chile, right? Chile, exactly. So Argentina's out. Bolivia's definitely out. Bolivia's definitely out. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So I wanted to uh, end with, with uh, this last question, which is, 
how do you view the development of the lithium industry, the future of the lithium industry in the next, say, 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And how are you thinking as a CEO of you know, making sure that Lexi is strategically prepared to take advantage of those things in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're going to see is much more involvement uh, from the end users, i.e. the OEMs, right? The, the autos themselves directly down into the asset base, right? Um, you've seen it already. Uh, GM has made a um, big investment into Lithium Americas project in in, uh, in Thacker Pass and um, in here in the U.S. Um, I think, um, you know, BYD is looking at making uh, these direct investments, Um and I think others, I think you will see, I think as the OEMs and they're coming to realize uh, that uh, there's just not enough lithium supply out there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, to meet their targets, anywhere near their targets, uh, the only way to be assured that one, that these a- that these assets get developed, right? Um, because the autos have a tremendous history in terms of develop industrial development, right? Building mm-hmm. big projects and taking you know all the way through. It's not easy to do this stuff. And so that expertise, the capital and other, you know, kind of input help from the from the auto industry, I think will be essential uh, to one, remediate, you know, address their issue, which is for them in some ways an ex- existential issue, right? They've already, announced that they're transitioning to all EVs, right? But how are you going to build those EVs if you don't have access to the raw materials, right? And and then where are you? Um, and then, so they need to make sure that they have access to those raw materials. And then for the, for the industry, for the lithium industry, getting that capital, getting that expertise, getting that offtake, right? That those markets uh, directly into the asset, I think is what we're likely to see in the near term. Um, mm-hmm. I think we'll continue to see... Um, competition, right? Real competition um, from uh, not just companies, but states, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, around these assets, uh, which will hopefully drive up, you know, values and for, for the companies that, that were there early and have these resources and have access to, uh, to lithium. Um, I think that that's what we're likely to see, at least in the near term um, here. Otherwise, again, it, it truly threatens the energy transition as a whole, yeah. which, you know, is a, um, a, a strategic objective uh, for, for not just the United States, but the West and for the world, really, in some instances. That's absolutely an alarm bell for uh, folks in Washington um, and policymakers around the world. Um, Ali, actually, one more thing before uh, mm-hmm. we let you go, which is we always like to ask our guests, what are you reading? Would you have a book <laughs> recommendation uh, for our yeah. listeners? Ironically, you know what I was rereading? Because um, huh. what, what helps me think about is, is The Prize by Daniel Jurgen, right? Which is the, the, the really the uh, most important history of the rise of the, of the oil industry, right? It, it's It's... You know, Daniel, that book really kind of changed uh, the tra- trajectory of my career. Uh, I read it when I was a law student at Columbia I, in my thir- third year, and I, I took some classes at SIPA uh, in their energy uh, policy uh, um, you know, program 
on 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 oil and gas and the, the hydrocarbon industry and and you know the kind of this geostrategy of it and reading that book really kind of truly changed uh, the trajectory of my career because I knew I wanted to be um, involved in in something as geostrategic as as the oil and gas industry mm-hmm. and which is why I got involved in in, in lithium um, to be honest because if we're doing the energy transition this is the going to be the most important uh, geostrategic uh, commodity uh, moving forward um, and so uh, again rereading that, uh, book, I think there's so many lessons to draw from how the oil industry was created, um, because that was the the industry that shaped our world in the 20th century. And so, uh, rereading that, thinking about it, and how you know where uh, you know the companies that made the right decisions, the countries that made the right decisions during the during that during the creation of that energy architecture. Uh, will likely be uh, those that learn those lessons and um, uh, from the rise of that energy architecture are likely to be the winners during the creation of this energy architecture. Fascinating. Well, I'm totally going to put that on my reading list. Um, yeah, you should, you know, listen, and I want to just, you know, uh, congratulate you on your um, term membership at the Council on Foreign Relations. I think that's quite an honor and uh, nobody or is more deserving than you, Lynn. So I just wanted to um, congratulate you on that. Oh, Ali, if I wasn't a black guy, I, I'd be blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, thank you, man. Thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Uh, can't wait to have you back on to discuss uh, geopolitics, international relations, and everything in between. I need to be picking your brain about the Chinese because you know way more about what those guys, what they're doing over there, which again is essential, not just for my business, but really kind of in what, how the, the world is going to be shaped uh, here moving forward. So anytime you have, you know, love to uh, be on again and really, you know, your understanding of, of that, um, that country, uh, it's, uh, strategic objectives, particularly in Latin America and the Caribbean, I think is of utmost um, importance uh, for those who are interested, again, not just in Latin America, but uh, there was an article that came out yesterday in The Economist talking about how Latin America will be the energy commodity giant of the 21st century. Mm. Um, And so, you know, it will be because all of the essential inputs for 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 the 21st century economy are found in Latin America. Um, and so, you know, what your work and what you're doing and what you're writing and what you're thinking about also, you know, I, I read, you know, that's those, that's also like the prize, you know, what I'm, what I'm reading, you know, these days. Oh man. Ollie, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Right. Lily.